Let's open our Bibles this morning to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Jesus Christ has called me and sent me to you to prepare you and me to meet him. He has graciously saved us by laying down his life as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. But he has not saved us for us just to muddle on through this life. He has saved us with a purpose. Salvation is more than just election, justification, redemption, adoption, and final glorification. Salvation is the granting of grace to us to give us the ability and the privilege to live for Him while we're in this world. Amen. I'd like to read to you the last verse of Peter's second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The word of God to you and to me is this, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would like to preach to you a couple of weeks about growing in grace. I began the service this morning by reading to you from Zechariah chapter 4 about the word of the Lord coming to Zerubbabel saying that that headstone would be laid and there'd be cries of grace, grace unto it. The Lord's been most gracious to us. Amen. He has chosen us by grace. Christ has died for us in grace and he has sent his Holy Spirit to regenerate us in grace. And we shall be yet glorified in heaven. But while we're here, we're to be growing. And it is a fearful thing if we have grace applied and grace taught and we do not grow. Right. We are to grow in grace. We cannot just think of our salvation as that instantaneous, creative, powerful, gracious work of God delivering us from our sins and preparing us for heaven. It is also the grace that God has implanted within us to give us victory over sin and to cause us and to move us to live for Him. God has worked in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. God has created us in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Salvation is more than something for us to be thankful for. Salvation is more than just the means of eternal life. Salvation is God giving us the ability to be pleasing children of His and to live for Him. But we have to grow up or we're not pleasing to Him. Grace. What is it? What is grace? The little people. The little people are those that are too busy to study their Bibles. The little people say that grace is unmerited favor. Grace is not unmerited favor. Grace is demerited favor. And there's a huge difference. 
Unmerited favor would mean that we're in a state of neutrality before God, but we're not. We're in a state of condemnation before God. And therefore, to have salvation applied to us is demerited favor. We have actually merited his condemnation. So for him to give us salvation, it's demerited favor and privilege. That's what grace is. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be ushered into heaven one of these days. But right now, it's a privilege to live for God, to know him, to know his son, Jesus Christ, to live apart from the world, to give him a holy sacrifice back of our bodies and our lives. But we need to grow into that. And we need to grow up in it. Why did he save us? He could have taken us to heaven. Regeneration could be part and parcel of glorification. So that when we were regenerated, we instantly went to heaven and were translated like Enoch. But he left us here. Right. And Second Peter chapter 3.18 tells us that we should be growing in grace. We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But are we growing in grace? Right. If I were to plot the years of your life since you first heard of grace and knew it in your heart, that God was gracious to you, if we were to plot those points on a graph, they might cover five years, they might cover 20, they might cover 50. But if we were then to apply a line to those points... Would that line have an upward slope or would it have a downward slope? Right. It cannot have a flat slope. That's right. Because the nature of man defaults to foolishness and folly. Would it have an upward slope? As we moved along those points on the graph, would the slope get greater? Not a straight line now. I'm talking about a straight line for the, 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 the years in the recent past. Are you accelerating in your growth curve? Or are we stagnant? Yes, we believe that we're saved by grace. Yes, we preach it and we hear it and we hear it with joy. But are we growing in grace? The apostle says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what I want to preach to you. Brethren, we better consider our ways and examine ourselves in the light of God's Word and see if we're growing. And I'm going to show you how much emphasis there is in the Word of God on this very subject. This is why He's left us here and given us His Word and given us ministers that we might grow in grace. That grace is simply not for us to make it to heaven. That grace is for us to live for Him now that He can look into this earth and see a people that are zealous of good works, that love Him, that want to walk with Him, and that he can walk with them, that will separate themselves from this world and be different and be his sons and his daughters by their conduct. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. Galatians chapter 5. I fear that we've often emphasized the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God over the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit of God. The sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit of God is that ability and privilege that we have by grace because we have the Spirit of God within us to live holy lives that please Jesus Christ and our God. Because it's simpler 
And it's easier for us to revel in our doctrine of regeneration than it is for us to revel in our doctrine of sanctification. I read in Galatians 5.25, if we live in the Spirit. Now, do we believe that? Yes, we do. And we preach it, and we pound on it, and we call all other doctrines heresy that don't believe in the powerful, life-giving voice of the Son of God and the regenerating and creative act of God by His Spirit when we are born again. We love it, and we should. But Paul says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And if you're walking in the Spirit, you're going to be growing because the Spirit of God is not content with fruitless trees. The Spirit of God will continually be building you and finishing a work in you toward perfection in the name of Jesus Christ. For the glory of God and for His pleasure in our lives. We must grow in grace. Let's not be content in grace. Let's not be dogmatic in grace unless we're going to be growing in grace. Right. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Has God been gracious to you? Amen. Has He? Right. Truly? Very gracious? Amen. Most gracious? Why are we assembled this morning? Why aren't we in the sack or watching television or at a sunrise service? Why do we have an interest in Him? Why is... I'm going to tell you about my soul. Why do I love to pray? It's by grace. He's been most gracious. And I'm not even talking about eternal life. I'm talking about the life that I have now. That I hate sin. That I love righteousness. That I love Christ. That I want to see Him more. Where did that come from? It's all of grace. But we need to be growing in that grace. Has the Lord been gracious to you? Amen. To love you with an everlasting love and to choose you before the foundation of the world to write you in the Lamb's book of life? To send His Son, Jesus Christ, to justify you in His Holy Spirit? To regenerate your dead, pagan, unbelieving, God-hating heart? Right. And to have already promised and guaranteed a future glorification? He is grace. It is grace. You are going to meet Him. My job is to prepare you to meet Him who is about to reveal Himself to this world and universe as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the blessed and only potentate. And I want us all to meet Him having grown in the grace that He's given us. Amen. Not being fruitless trees. I want to meet Him with confidence. And I want you to meet Him with confidence. When each of us pass and we stand around a hospital bed or a bed in our homes and we hold hands and we sing praises, I want us to know that that body that's laying there was just the shell, the home of a soul that grew in grace. Death will be wonderful for those that grew in grace. But brethren, when we stand and we hold hands around a bed of a fruitless tree and we look and we realize that there was never any spiritual growth in that life. What a terrible thing. What confidence will we have that they're even being transported by angels into heaven? It is my job to warn you about Jesus Christ coming back. And it's my job to exhort you and me that we would grow in grace. 
I want to grow in grace. And I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean by that before I'm done. I won't get very far today. Today I want to get you very provoked about remembering from whence thou art fallen and repenting and wanting to do the first works and redoubling your efforts to grow by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I love these three verses that start this chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2, Wherefore, he has just been speaking about regeneration and the word of the gospel in in the previous verses. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, those are evil thoughts toward one another. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile, that's being hypocritical and deceitful in your relationships with others, and hypocrisies, and envies, that's resenting others, and all evil speakings, all sorts of foolishness, and jesting, and criticism, and slander, and whispering. Wherefore, laying aside all these things, all this malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, and evil speakings, as newborn babes, we are supposed to be like babies in a certain respect. We're to crave something. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. There is a comma after the word babes, and that comma makes the verb desire to be an imperative verb. It's a verb of commandment. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Growth is dependent upon the word of God and it being taught, and you are to be craving that word of God. Now, did you come this morning craving to be taught the Word of God in order to grow thereby? That's 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. You know, we could talk for quite a while about newborn babes. They crave milk. They'll only go a little while before they start screaming again for it. When was the last time you were screaming with God to grow in grace and for the milk of His Word? The first thing we have to do is lay aside things that beset us. And that's in verse 1, the sins that choke out the Word of God from having any fruitfulness. So you must look at your lives and see, is there any malice? Is there any poor feelings toward others? Any malice? You will not grow. It is impossible. It chokes out the Word of God and it quenches the Spirit of God. Do you love everyone in this assembly? Have you done your duty, your Christian duty of love and charity toward everyone in this assembly? We have to lay aside these things of verse 1. Then verse 2 tells us we're to desire a diet of milk of the Word of God that we may grow thereby. And it's all predicated upon this motivation. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Amen. Do you like that? those three verses? Yeah. Do you see it all? We have to lay aside things. And brethren, that's why I'm on the warpath about sin. I will not accomplish my duty in your lives unless we hate sin and cut it out of our lives. Right. We have to lay these things aside. And then we need to crave the Word of God. And the, the reason, the motivation for it is, has the Lord been gracious to us? Amen. We say the words, election, justification, regeneration, and glorification. 
I fear so much that they're dull chapters in a handbook of theology. It's a fantastic personal work of affection by the Holy God to rescue our souls from our wicked sins and eternal judgment that we can live with Him forever. And if we've tasted that at all, maybe you haven't eaten it. Maybe you haven't swallowed it and are full of His grace. But if you've tasted it, don't you want to grow in grace for the Lord that has saved us? Amen. Oh, there's some of these passages I just want to take and wring out every drop that's in them for you. The, the formula is so simple. Lay aside. Desire. Don't you want to do that based on grace? We sing amazing grace, but let's not sing it. Let's live that grace out in our lives. Let's show the living God how much we're thankful that He saved us and that we're going to be able to die in confidence and peace and joy because of His great salvation by living for Him. This grace is to change us. You say, well, this is just the way I am. Oh, no, brethren. The way you're supposed to be is as the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be conformed to His image. I don't care what your temperament is. I've been stuck with as ugly of a temperament as any of you. I don't care about temperaments. I care about grace. Are we growing in it? I want to grow in it. I want to grow in grace. I need to be gracious. That's just a little tiny part of growing in grace, being more gracious. I want to love Him more. I want to hate sin more. I want to walk with Him more. More godliness. More holiness. More righteousness. Amen. Grow in grace. Oh, that's my desire for all of you, brethren. I'm not going to be content with anything less. I hope you wouldn't want me to be content. Amen. Do you crave them this morning? Do you crave growing in grace? Amen. Yes. We're all growing older. That's right. We're all growing fatter. We're all growing, well, some of you blessed individuals aren't, but we're growing slower, we're growing duller, but are we growing in wisdom and sanctification and righteousness and love of Christ and holiness and sobriety and the fruit of the Spirit? Are we growing in those things? If I were to take the time this morning and bring an overhead projector and put your name at the top and an X-axis and a Y-axis with the years that you've been converted and plot some points, would it show an upward line? Are we growing? If we're, I'm so pressed in my spirit for you and for me that we had better be growing in grace or we're squandering grace. And I'm going to show you some fearful texts about squandering the grace of God. What kind of fruit do we have, brethren? What I'm talking about this morning is I'm talking about the difference in the life of an Abraham and Lot. Right. Abraham was called the friend of God in James chapter 2, and Lot, you'd never know he was a righteous man except God told us. But brethren, I want to say something about this. We only know that Lot was a righteous man with his name in the book of life because God tells us. Every other man that we ever see that looks like Lot, we must presume on the authority of the Word of God that he is no Lot. He's a Cain, and he's on his way to hell. Because unless you're growing in grace, you have no evidence of grace. 
Don't tell me about some instantaneous weekend when all of a sudden you got excited about Jesus. There's millions of such people across our country, and they know nothing of the Jesus Christ of the Bible. They do not know him in a vital way. And by vital, I mean that gives us vitality in our souls. Vitality is a principle of life that causes us to love and to move in the direction of Christ in heaven. And if you do not have that, there's no evidence of eternal life. You're just one of the statistics of an easy believism society that thinks because you felt good in some evangelistic service that you have a relationship with Christ. A relationship with Christ is proved by continuing and growing in Christ. Amen. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, you'd think that Peter has a corner on growing in grace. But Paul's going to show us some things too. 2 Peter chapter 1. Oh, brethren... Let me ask you a bold question this morning. And every time I ask you a question, I've already had to ask myself, and I'm asking myself right now when I ask you, how much do you look like God? How much do you live and speak and think like God? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter and a a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in that verse because we've obtained like precious faith through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. I know it's a long sentence. God gave it to us in that form. It's a long sentence. But do you know all that it says? It says, grace be multiplied to you. And then it tells you that that grace has already been multiplied to you. His divine power. How powerful is God? Almighty. Almighty. His divine power. Let there be light. And there was light without a source of light. Right. Let the earth bring forth fowl after his kind. And there were birds everywhere. His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We have a living power within us that God has given us that we can live a godly life to please him. This is what grace should do. Grace be multiplied to you. Through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. There's some things He's called us to. Virtue. We're to be living virtuous lives with this divine power that we have in us that is a result of grace. Right. How can you meet men on the sidewalk? Doesn't it bother you anymore? It bothers me right now. Like it's never bothered me in my life. Do you know why it never bothered me as much in my life before? 
And this is gross shame. Do you know why? There wasn't a big enough difference. The men that I worked with at the bank in my past, there wasn't a big enough difference. But there is right now. And it bothers me in this sense. It bothers me that I'm not thankful enough for the grace of God in my life. Why am I not yet at the bank? Why am I not yet wallowing in my self-pity and problems? It's all by grace. And that that divine power has been given to every one of God's children that are regenerated. And we can live a holy life, and we ought to live a holy life, and we should want to live a holy life. And grow, and blossom, and bear fruit until our branches are bent to the earth with fruit in God's opinion. And that doesn't mean having your house paid off. That doesn't mean getting all the children with a college education. It doesn't have a thing to do with any of that trash. It has everything to do with you walking with God and loving Him and craving Him and hating sin and living soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. He's given us the divine power that we can be partakers of the divine nature. That is incredible. I might as well just quit. How do I tell you about that? How can I tell you that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Now, I want to help you study your Bible a little bit. There's a pronoun there that it's these. We're in in the middle of verse 4, that by these, that these is not the precious promises. Precious promises do not help you be partakers of the divine nature. These can be circled and run up to the all things in verse 3. All things that pertain to life and godliness. God's given them to us by His divine power, and it's by those things that He's given to us. Also, we've been given great and precious promises, but it's those all things, and that is by a careful study of these four verses, that that cause us, give us the ability to be partakers of the divine nature. You want to trace it all the way back to to, to the things that God has given us that can help us live godly lives. Right. We want to be growing in the divine nature. Enough on 2 Peter chapter 1 right now. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are we approaching the character of God? I almost am frightened saying those words. But I must because of 2 Peter chapter mm-hmm. 1 and verse 4. Partakers of the divine nature. We have created within us all things by divine power that pertain to life and godliness, and those characteristics are like the nature of God. Right. Holiness is his nature. We have by divine power that thing called holiness within us in its essence, and it should bear fruit in our lives as we work out holiness. We have love within us because God is love. And that love should work itself out by laying aside all malice and envies that we might grow in grace that God's given us. Here's what the Apostle Paul thought. Here's some motivation for you. Here's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. 
I am pressed and pushed, Paul is saying, by the love of Christ, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's the Apostle Paul. Why did Paul work so hard in his life? Because he made a judgment. If one died for all, then that means all were dead. All were under a sentence of death and were going to have to die themselves unless that one had died in their place as a substitution. Now, if that one died in their place as a substitution, then those that live because of his death should want to live for him. Now, that's pretty simple logical sense, isn't it? It's a very logical two verses. But do you have that logic in your soul? Because do you know what? I can't give it to you through your ears into your soul. All I can do is address you through your ears, and if God has put it in your soul, you'll understand it, believe it, and live it. I cannot make you grow in grace. You must humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He will lift you up in due time and exalt you and bless you with fruit bearing. Why are you alive? Why did he leave you alive in this world? To pay off the house? To work toward a new car or truck? To grow in grace, brethren. To grow in grace. Look at Philippians chapter 3. My my points are going to be simple today, and you're going to be a little irritated with me because we're not going to get to enough of what what the fruit is by which we want to measure that growth but you're going to have to be patient. And if you want an outline ahead of time, I'll give it to you this week ahead of time because I've got it done. But I want to make sure that I convince you of the importance of what we're talking about. Growth in any field or endeavor, growth, progress, success, in any field or endeavor requires several things. The first is to have an objective. And I want to tell you, God's already given us the objective. We already read it in 2 Peter 3.18. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have an objective. You first of all have to have a purpose and its importance. Or you'll never grow. When growing is a choice, our children don't have a choice about growing. God just causes growth. But God isn't going to cause growth like that in our spiritual lives unless we humble ourselves and submit to Him and seek Him. But I can say to you by the government of God and His holy sovereignty that when you submit to Him and you seek Him, it is by His tender grace itself. So that Christ is all and in you all. But I don't want that grace of God to be stowed upon any in vain. Can it be? Yes, it can. You can fail of the grace of God. Let's look at a man who didn't. Philippians chapter 3. You know that I love verses 8 through 11. Because Paul said, I count all things but loss that I could know Christ. I've said the words to all of you. I've said all these words to all of you several times. The true measure 
that we want to achieve is the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 8 through 11, that we would be willing to count all things loss, that we might know Christ Jesus better. But I want to move on past that 11th verse to the 12th verse, where he says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. He is following after something in front of him that he keeps moving after. He's growing. He's pursuing. He's pressing after something. But I follow after if that I may apprehend, if I may get my hands on that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Did you know that Jesus Christ arrested you for a purpose? He sought you out. Out of this whole world of six billion people. He sought you out individually so that you would seek him out. If I can apprehend that for which I was apprehended by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. You know, we look at Paul and we say, there's a man that apprehended. There's a man that grew in grace. There's a man that achieved everything that a man can achieve in life, spiritually speaking. Do you know what Paul says about that? Brethren. And if he'd have said it in person, he'd have said it forcefully. If you know the character of Paul from the Word of God, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. This is our life right here. Are you pressing? If you are not pressing, the very best description of your life is you are a carnal Christian, and that is being optimistically merciful. Because if you're not pressing toward Christ with the blessings he's given us recently in this church, What is your problem? Pressing after Jesus Christ. You're in a race. You're you're going after something. And you're not just walking after it. You're just not being drug after it. You're just not going with the flow. You're pushing for it. You seek it. What are you going to get up for tomorrow morning? Just to go put some hours in someplace? The only reason you go to work is to provide enough necessities for your family to press toward the true mark. And if you ever get it out of bounds and it's more than that, you will never achieve the true mark. Because they that will be rich fall into temptation and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. We need to be pressing like the Apostle Paul. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have within us by divine power all things that pertain to life and godliness. We have within us aspects of the divine nature. We can know God. God can dwell with us and us in Him in a personal, affectionate relationship of fellowship and strength the rest of your life. Constantly growing more and more like Jesus Christ. And anything less than that, you're not growing. You're not pressing after the right mark. That is the mark. 
That is what we should be pressing for. That is what Paul said. He was not content. He said, I forget everything behind. I know I've got quite a resume, but I forget it because I'm still pressing forward because he said, brethren, I got to tell you the truth. I haven't attained. I haven't apprehended that prize yet. That is our objective to be like Paul and to fulfill what Jesus Christ saved us for. He did not save us just to populate heaven. He saved us for us to live now to bless him in this world by showing the abundance of grace. Because out of this cesspool and the mire of the swine of humanity, by grace, he can cause us to blossom and bear fruit. Are we going to do it for him? If so be, ye have tasted the Lord is gracious. Has he been gracious enough so that you'd want to do this? We're talking about the objective. We have to be growing. Notice, Paul was not content, though apostle, though later in his life, after many years of being the greatest apostle of the Gentiles, he still was pressing toward a prize. That's our goal. That's the objective. The high school football teacher analyzes his high school population. He sees all the young men with the coordination and the size and the speed that could be football players, and he invites them to a classroom after school. And he says, all of you have the potential to be good football players. I will help you achieve that goal. You have the ability. You have the privilege Does this school want to have a football championship? They have to have that goal set before them, before they're going to go through the pain and self-denial of winning that championship. All athletic endeavors have this. All professional endeavors have the very same thing. It is a mission statement of a corporation, which... The people at one end hardly even know what the mission statement means, but at the top end, they do know what it means. They're out to achieve a crown. But we have a crown to achieve that has been set before us by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has saved us out of the mire of this world and the condemnation of sin and given us within ourselves, by grace alone, by his good pleasure alone, the divine power and the grace and the ability to serve him. But we need to be growing in it. Those football players, those those high school students that could be football players, if they don't grow in their football skills and physical strength and speed, will never amount to anything. And if we, given this divine power inside and and being a partaker of the divine nature, we can squander it by being slothful. Right. So we must get the objective before us of growing. I want to grow. I want that line, that straight line, that linear equation on my graph to get steep. Because I want to be growing in grace. I want to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to live a life of godliness. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's turn to a few places and see the importance of this growth. Back to 2 Peter, chapter 1. We read the first four verses. Now I want you to see verse 5. 
And beside this, giving all diligence. This requires our diligence. And not just a little bit on Sundays. Giving all diligence. Add. That's all I want. Add. Do you know what adding is? It's growth. When you can add something, it's growing. We start out with faith. And do you know where faith comes from? From the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. But then we add to our faith... Knowledge. Virtue is, comes next. We add to our faith virtue. And that virtue is not something that we do by ourselves because divine power has given it to us inside, but we must humble ourselves and exercise that divine power and make ourselves bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. We can do it. We must do it. Because if we don't grow, verse 9 says, He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You're narrow-minded and blinded. All you're thinking about is your physical life. If we do not grow and bear fruit in all these areas, and all these areas spring naturally from a heart that humbles itself and seeks Jesus Christ because it's all there. Because he's already given us by divine power all things that pertain to life and godliness. I want you to see the word add. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. The parable of the talents. I don't have time to go through the parable of the talents. All I want to say to you are these words. We want an objective before us. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Was well done, thou good and faithful servant, said to a servant that kept his talents or exploited his talents. He added to his talents. The one that was given five added five more to them so that he had ten. And so he heard the words, well done. And if you say to me, well, I'm not a five-talent Christian. Well, that's why Jesus also had a two-talent one. and that man also added two to his two talents. Those talents are representative of God's grace in our lives. Some are given more gifts by God's grace than others. But no matter if our gifts be two or five, according to the analogy and the parable here, we can multiply them so that we can hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Do you know the man that had five and multiplied and it became ten? received no greater praise from the Lord Jesus Christ than the one with two that ended up with four. There's no difference to God. God knows what He's given each of us. Amen. So we can never measure ourselves among ourselves. The Lord Jesus Christ. And we're always falling short, so Paul said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Now, but there was one man who took that talent that God gave him and just buried it. He made it to the services. He made it to the services physically. It doesn't mean a thing. He was a slothful and a wicked servant, according to the Word of God. This is something that we should be competitive in. That is growing in grace. Did you know the Apostle Paul said, I labored more abundantly than they all? Why would the Apostle Paul say that about the other Apostles? That wasn't very nice of him to say that. 
Because when he's pressing for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, who cares about James and John's and Peter's poor little feelings? The Apostle Paul was pressing, and he said, I labored more abundantly than they all. And there's no arrogance when he says, but not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He gave all the credit to the grace of God, but he did admit he labored more abundantly than they all. And notice in Second Peter 1, where we just were, it said, giving all diligence to these things. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm setting forth before you the goal. The goal is to grow in grace. What a disgrace if we do not grow in grace. Ephesians chapter 4. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers in verse 11. Verse 15. So that you, speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Ephesians 4.15. So that you can grow. And I'm trying to show you this morning that nothing else in your life matters but your growth in grace. If you can make enough to live and grow in grace, you have a successful life. Right. If you ever alter what I just said in the least degree to want more than you need and not make growing in grace the preeminent theme and goal of your life, you will cheat the growth in grace and you will not grow. We are not left in this world to have a good time. Naturally, we are left in this world to have a good time with the Lord Jesus Christ by growing in grace. And if you've ever tasted that the Lord is gracious and having a good time with him, the good times of this life don't suffice. We're marching to Zion, aren't we? And don't the heavenly fields yield some good times now? This is how we're supposed to be growing. Oh, brethren, First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. It's throughout the Bible. Right. Why did he save us? Just to get to heaven? Just to go around with our gospel tomahawks looking for the next Arminian victim by which we can take the truth that he's given us and remove their scalp, tie it to our belt, and go on as a champion of the cross. You want to be a champion of the cross? Then get to that cross and know it better than anyone else in this assembly. Get to that cross and know the one that hung up on it better than anyone in this assembly. Get to that cross and have the one that hung up on it living in your heart and soul more than anyone else in this assembly. Try me. I have a son that writes me several times a week by email. And reminds me that if I slip even an inch, he's going to pass me in his love of Christ. I love that. I love that. There is nothing else, brethren. I don't want to talk to you about, about doctrine this morning. What I want to talk to you about this morning is growing in grace. We know the doctrine of grace. If anybody were to look at us, they would say they believe in the doctrines of grace. But I want people to look at us and say, look at the grace in that church. Right. You say, but I'm just not a very gifted or gracious person. Then humble yourself before the cross. He, by divine power, hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I'm not going to put up with any more excuses from myself or from you. You can be all that God intended you to be. 
But you can't be slothful and bury that talent in the earth and say, I was afraid to take up the challenge. Because when that master came back and found that servant, he cast him into outer darkness. Let's grow, brethren. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. As every man hath received the gift. These are the gifts of grace that God gives to different men. And not just ministerial gifts, even though it will say the word minister. All gifts are to be ministered. That is, to be served to others. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That grace that's in our hearts... The ability to love. Is love a gift? Is the ability to, it, the Bible says it is. Right. Do you minister it to others? Are you pouring out that love? If you're not pouring it out, you're dead. You're, or you're fruitless. And to call yourself fruitless is being optimistically merciful. We need to be growing and ministering these gifts to each other and not to be self-centered. Verse 11, if any man speak... Let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You've received a gift. You know what that gift is? The divine power and everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now are you ministering those things to each other, to one another? Are we doing that? Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We have a goal. Grow in grace. We have a goal. Add to your faith. We have a goal. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Let us not disgrace our salvation by not growing in grace. If Hebrews 5 verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You've heard the truth for many years. Most of you have heard it for many, many years. Are you growing in your ability to use the truth of the grace of God in other people's lives? Or do you still have need to be taught the first things? And do you know what I'm teaching right now? A first thing, growing in grace. Right. Tonight, you're going to have an opportunity for a few minutes to see if you're a teacher just for a few minutes. Hebrews chapter 5. Paul had to rebuke them. Look at Titus chapter 2. We read this last Lord's Day. We read it a couple of times last Lord's Day. This is the grace of God. This is our objective. This is why God sent His grace. This is what we should be doing with that grace. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Right. That is what grace does. Amen. If you're just living, I get up, I go to work, 
I do a load of laundry, I fix supper, I go to bed. I get up, I go to work, I do a load of laundry, I fix supper, I go to bed. Is that all you can say about your life? Are you growing in grace? What does it mean to grow in grace? It means to grow in everything that grace gives us and expects from us. God saved us out of this world so that we can look like Him. We can act like His children, and we can have a father-son or father-daughter relationship with the Holy God. I will be their father, and they shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. 2 Corinthians 6.18 Are you growing in the fruit of the Spirit, love? Is love flowing from you so that everyone can see it? Joy. Are you joyful? Peace. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, yet gentleness, goodness. All the, the fruit. We're to be growing in these things. And my fear is as your pastor that we assemble, we have our potluck after our assembly today, we go home, we come next Sunday, we assemble, we don't have a potluck after the assembly, we go home. We have squandered the grace of God because we must be growing. Here's the growth that's to take place. We are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, and it's called a teaching Because this is a constant process of us being more and more and more like verse 12. Then more and more and more like verse 13, which is looking for the blessed hope of Christ's return. And then verse 14, zealous of good works. Growing. We can't be flat. He's going to cast us out. He'll cut us off. He will not put up with branches that do not bear fruit. Turn to John 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Jesus said this to his disciples after the Last Supper, just before his death. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. He is going to draw an analogy in these verses of a vine and branches and a husbandman. God the Father is the husbandman, that is, the man who takes care of the vineyard, the man who prunes, the man who burns, the man who is watching every plant to make sure that it's being productive, the one that protects it and nurtures it that it might bear fruit. Jesus Christ is the vine. We are the little branches that come off that vine. All the moisture, the nutrients, the minerals, the life flows up the vine and out the branches. And it's an analogy. That's all. It's an analogy. But in that vine, we have given to us the vital relationship that we have in Christ. All things that pertain to life and godliness, we can bear the fruit of the vine. In that vine... There is a code that says that there ought to be fruit born called love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, virtue, godliness, brotherly kindness, sobriety, godliness, righteousness, holiness. And we can bear all those things, but we must be in the vine. 
If we go anywhere else, we will not achieve the growth. It's not in a pastor. It's not in a pope. It's not in a priest. It's not in self-help books. It's in the vine. And if we go to Christ, if we humble ourselves in the privacy of our closets and seek the Lord and beg Him to walk with Him and that He will draw nigh to us and we draw nigh to Him, He will sustain us and we will have flowing through us the moisture and the nutrients and the minerals necessary for growth. And we will bear fruit. But if you step away from Christ by becoming wrapped up in your life, and not seeking Him in His Word. Remember, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that ye may grow thereby. If you do not seek Him in His Word, and seek Him in prayer, and seek Him in meditation, you will not bear fruit. This is a beautiful picture of our necessity of drawing nigh to Jesus Christ and having His life force flowing in and through us by walking with Him, and abiding with Him, and being close to Him. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, He taketh away. God can take you away in numerous ways. Did God take Lot away? Yeah, God took Lot away. Did God take Solomon away? See, there's a choice when you come to John 15. You can make this the church so that everyone that's in Christ is not really in Christ, they're just pretending to be in Christ, then it's really of little value. Because we don't, there isn't a ver- we don't care about those that were never in Christ vitally. We have no message for them. Or you can come to John 15, and this union we have is the vital union we have by regeneration. And it's an analogy, so it's not always perfect. Because he's trying to make a point that without me you can do nothing, but with me you can do everything. Right. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And brethren, that ought to be fearful. What I'm setting up before us is our objective this morning. Why should we grow? Because if we are not bearing fruit, he's going to take us away. He took Ananias and Sapphira away one way. He took a bunch of Corinthians away a similar way. He took Solomon away by giving him over to a thousand evil women. He took Lot away by leaving him in a cave with his two daughters. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And this is being optimistically merciful about anyone you see without fruit that they ever had a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Brethren, don't you want to be in that second half of verse 2? He prunes it. We're bearing some fruit, but we want more. So we get down and we pray to the great husbandman. When was the last time you or I prayed to the husbandman? And said, Lord, I want to bear more fruit. Those areas in my life that aren't bearing much and are just wasting the nutrients of Christ, help me cut them out that I can bear more fruit. Prune me that I can be greater in bearing fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Jesus has been teaching them much in the chapters leading up to John 15, his apostles, so that they were clean. They had been taught enough that they could bear fruit and abide in Christ. Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. Now, how do we get Christ to abide in us? It says, abide in me, and I in you. By abiding in him. Because when we're abiding in him, he will abide in us. Abide in me. How do we abide in Christ? 
We set Christ as our goal for each day. He's the reason we get up. He's the reason we live and move and have our being. Jesus Christ. We pray to Him. We read His Word. We meditate upon Him. We ask to be in Him. We think of Him. We sing of Him. That's abiding in Christ. I don't want it to be a mystery to you. It's not a mystery. It's a commandment. It's something that we are to do practically. Abide in me. We should be running to Christ as our refuge every single day. And when we do that, he will abide in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. If I take a branch off a vine and lay it on a sidewalk, it's going to wither up in just a few hours. But that branch growing in the vine receives nutrients and moisture out of the ground and is able to bear much fruit. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself. If we want, if we want to live a life of godliness and righteousness and sobriety in this present world, and yet we do not seek Jesus Christ to have a personal relationship with him, of reading his word for his sake, of praying to him for his sake, of confessing our sins for his sake, of singing for his sake, of drawing nigh to him for his sake, we will not bear fruit. We will go on as a pitiful congregation with branches without bearing fruit. And I don't want to see that. This is an abiding in him that is our choice. By drawing nigh to him. Right. By laying aside all that malice and stuff that we saw in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. And making him the end all in our lives. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. True disciples of Jesus Christ abide in Christ bear much fruit, and they glorify their Father, which is in heaven. But brethren, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. You know, the last part of chapter 5 is all about the gracious salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. But look what verse 1 of chapter 6 says. We then, Paul is saying, him and the others that were with him, the ministers of Christ, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Don't you hear this word of reconciliation that we preach from the last few verses of chapter 5 and receive it in vain? Look at the lives that we're living. And he, and he describes his life in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. He describes a life of self-denial given to live out that grace in his life. This verse says you can receive the grace of God in vain. You can be saved and hear the truth of the gospel and never amount to a fruit-bearing branch like you should. And what a disgrace. And so, yes, I'm pressing this congregation toward perfection. That is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Come back a few pages to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. To fail of the grace of God. Does that mean someone can lose their salvation? No. We read last Sunday, I believe it was Psalm 89, that said that though that my children forsake my covenant and break my law, I'll not take my loving kindness away from them utterly. My covenant will stand. My seed shall be before me forever. So it's not losing our salvation. And it's not getting confused about grace. There are verses in the Bible like Galatians 5.14, Ye which are justified by the law have fallen from grace. That's being confused about the doctrine of grace. But then there's another way we can fail of grace, and that's to have the grace of God in our lives, to hear its message, and not live up to it. Look at Paul, 1 Corinthians 15.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. If you think Paul sounds a little confused in that verse, that's the confusion we all ought to have at all times. Giving all the glory to God, and yet working as diligently as we can ourselves. Expecting great things by the grace of God, and attempting great things for the grace of God. Paul labored more abundantly than they all, yet he gave all the credit to the grace of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, back a few more pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Here's a race described again. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. We're to run like there's only going to be one prize. That is why emulation and coveting and provoking and competition is good when it comes to spiritual gifts and growing in grace. We're to be running as if there's only one prize and we want it. Every man that, and every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Everyone in an athletic endeavor that wants to win the prize is temperate. That means he practices self-denial and is very disciplined in all ways. All things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. There was the potential of Paul being a castaway. And so he labored. He did not run vaguely, uncertainly. He did not fight as one that beats the air. One of the easiest ways to lose in a boxing match is to not hit your opponent because you punch yourself out. Because when that strenuous punch misses an object to arrest its force, it is a great strain on the arm and shoulder. And good boxers know how to let a man punch himself out and then just walk up and knock him out. Paul said, I don't fight that way. And I don't run uncertainly. I know exactly where I'm running. I know exactly how to fight. I keep my body under, lest I should be a castaway. Cut off a fruitless branch under the judgment of God. Solomon, Lot, Corinthians, Aquila and Priscilla, and others, which drown men in destruction and perdition unless we keep those lusts 
under control and seek to grow in grace. One last passage this morning, Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. The apostle said back over there in Corinthians, We then as workers together with him beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. I am beseeching you from Jesus Christ. I have no agenda except his. I have no motive but him. I am your servant. We are going to meet him. Everything in your body, everything in the world, and Satan combining the two with great subtlety wants to deceive you into thinking you can come in here, sit, sing a few songs, bear me out, and go home, and that you're a Christian. I am here to serve you on behalf of Jesus Christ. He is coming soon. He is able to know, and he does know, all the thoughts and intents of your heart. And he's going to measure you with eyes before which all things are naked and opened. And he is going to judge without regard to your little feelings. He is going to judge by righteousness. And before that great day of judgment, he is going to come into this congregation and judgment will begin at the house of God. And I don't want any fruitless branches in here. Here's what Jesus taught in Luke 13, verse 6. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Brethren, we are fig trees. And the Lord is looking for fruit on our fig trees. That fruit is the fruit of righteousness. That fruit is the fruit of us growing and looking more like Jesus Christ in God. That fruit is bearing his divine nature in love, joy, peace, and all the things that make up God that he's given us. If If you are not that way, Jesus Christ will come and visit this church. And he will cut you out by a heresy, a division. He will cut you out by health or by death. He will cut you out by a lean soul to where you dry up inside. My job is to warn you. I have warned you. I will say more on this next Lord's Day, the Lord willing. I hope he comes back so that we can be perfectly united with him in heaven before next Sunday. But until then, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of us have heard hundreds, thousands of sermons. Are we growing in grace? May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.